how was the first day of school? Fine, I guess. Did you guys pick up on that? Sure oh, did. Something's wrong. Signal the husband. Uh-oh. She's looking at us. What did she say? Oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What is it, woman? What? Joy. This is sadness. That's anger. What? This is disgust. And that's fear. We're Riley's emotions. These are Riley's memories. They're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. I wanted to maybe hold one. What happened? Sadness. She did something to the memory. Is everything okay? I don't know. Take it back, Joy. Great. Joy, no. Let's Wait. Go. The core memory. Ah! No, 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 no. <laughs> Can I say that curse word now? What do we do now? Nothing's working. Why isn't it working? We have a major problem. Oh, I wish Joy was here. We can fix this. We just have to get back to headquarters. That's long-term memory. You could get lost in there. Think positive. Okay. I'm positive you will get lost in there. What was that? Was it a bear? There are no bears in San Francisco. I saw a really hairy guy. He looked like a bear. This place is huge. Imagination land? No way. Dream production? Rainbow unicorns right there. I loved you in Fairy Dream Adventure Part 7. Okay, bye. I love you. You can't focus on what's going wrong. There's always a way to turn things around. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. Who's the birthday girl? Brain freeze! Hang on. Riley, here we come. Good morning. If you haven't uh, realized it, we are talking about movies, uh, like Barry mentioned, uh, over the last few weeks we've been, and we've got it for a couple more weeks. And the point of, of this series is, uh, as fun as it would be, is not just to sit and watch uh, trailers and eat popcorn, although we did launch the series with popcorn, uh, but really to look at what are the messages of the movies that we see. And like any part of media, uh, there's messages that are being sent to us. And certainly movies are the same, that there's certain messages. And so um, over the series, we're looking at what, what are these movies say about how life works? What do they say about relationships? What do they say about direction in life and decision making? And we try to pull out some movies that really kind of highlighted experiences that we all have and all the things that we're trying to figure out. All of us are trying to figure out direction, how to make decisions, how to relate better. And so what do the movies have to say about that? But we don't just want to stop there. The point of box office wisdom is to look and see, does that message about how life works actually match God's view of things? How does it match our experience? What do we do if none of those matches? And so we're looking at kind of this idea of what do the movies say? What does God's word say? What's our own experience? And how do we actually navigate in a way that's going to bring success for us? But not only success, but how are we going to navigate the messages that we all experience in life in view of the 
the message that God has for us as individuals and as a church. And so in this series, we're really interested in not just looking at what the culture says, uh, while their messages are really powerful, and not just our own experiences, which are very real, but also what, what does God have to say? And we're using really the Bible as our guide to do that. And so uh, each of these movies, uh, really, we're not here to evaluate it necessarily as art and to say you should go to this movie or not go to this movie, but really... Um, What's the message? And not maybe just the only message in it, but what's one of the messages? And so uh, the first week we kicked off the series talking about the movie Entourage, uh, which just came out, uh, I think, in the beginning of June. And the message, one of the messages there is YOLO, the idea of you only live once. And so we kind of looked at, well, what what does that mean for a life that you actually have to live? Like outside of being a movie star, outside of being in this world of a famous person, what does YOLO actually look like, and what are the dangers of that? Uh, last week, we looked at the movie Jurassic World, which is a continuation of the movie that came back at, uh, in 1993. And the movie and that whole franchise is based on this idea of follow your dream. Have a dream that you want, an idea of what you want your life to look like, and chase that dream. And so we talked about what do we do with kind of the vision for our life and direction. So we kind of looked at what do we do when we think life is short? What do we do when we want direction? And today we're actually talking about the idea of decision making and how our emotions and the feelings we have impact our decisions. And and as you saw uh, in the trailer, the premise of Inside Out is, is kind of this thing of what would it be like if you actually were able to peel yourself inside out and look at all the things that go on in your mind and all the things that go on in your heart that cause you to do the things that you do. I was thinking about that myself. And many times I act, and then there's a reaction. I react to what I do, others react to what I do, but there's always a sense in which I'm always asking, I didn't see that coming, or I don't know why I did that. And there's just this kind of idea of sometimes we just do things, and we're not exactly sure all that's inside of us that causes us to do things. And I I think that's probably common for all of us. Have you ever done something or said something and you kind of stopped after you heard yourself say it or after you experienced yourself doing it and you thought, where did that come from? Have you guys had that experience before? I know I have. Like you can be surprised sometimes what is on the inside. And this movie is looking at kind of the most powerful emotions that we have. Sadness, joy, fear, disgust, and anger. And how do each of those impact the certain things that we do in life? And the movie was actually very well done. I saw it on Friday at a drive-in movie. If you've never been to a drive-in movie, it's like a very unique and awesome experience. It was like my first drive-in, I believe. And I I had the kids and like they were, you know, in minivans and just it was like a slumber party with like thousands of other people. That sounds terrible, but... It wasn't that bad, um, but it, it was a, it was a great experience. But what I what I really appreciated about the movie was it actually looked at the powerful emotions that we have and how if you give attention to certain ones, it causes you to act in one way. And if you give attention to other ones, it causes you to act in another way. And I'm not going to really spend a whole lot of time talking about the plot of the movie because I don't I don't want to give it away. But needless to say uh, that the main character in the movie is a little girl 
and her family has experienced a big change in life. And it's showing you in the midst of a big change how she's reacting and how all the voices inside of her, her emotions, are trying to navigate this big change that they've all experienced in life. And so she makes lots of decisions and then she relates to her dad and relates to her mom. And you see all of them inside their head, the different things that that go on. And so it was was very well done. And it it really did a really great job of kind of highlighting the things that are in us and the fact that we're, we're a mixed bag of emotions. And one of the things I kept thinking about myself is, you know, there's some days where I wake up and I was just telling this to somebody this morning. There's some days that I wake up and like, I'm really pumped about my day. You know, like, you just wake up, it's going to be a good day. Yeah. Breakfast is just a little bit sweeter. Milk's a little bit colder. You know? You get to work, the traffic's a little lighter. It's like a good day. And then you get home and you're like, that was a good day. And then there's some mornings where you wake up. And for some reason, you just don't think it's going to be a good day. Experience that. Maybe you're a little bit more tired. And maybe there's some things that are nagging. I know for me, like, there's just stuff I have on my, my plate and my head that I haven't, like, unpacked out of there. And I haven't kind of given myself what I need to do with the things that I have in my head. And it's overwhelming. And things aren't as enjoyable. And so th- this is real. And so from one day to the next, we have a mixed bag of emotions. And the movie did a great job of kind of showing that. So what I want to do, really, over the course of our time this morning, is take a look at how our emotions are so powerful. And emotions are actually not bad in themselves. God actually gave us emotions. God is our creator. He's the one that made us. And he gave us this mind. And he gave us a spirit. And he gave us a soul. And he gave us a body. And he decided what would make up a human. And emotion is a part of that. Feelings are a part of that. And I'm thankful for that because that's what makes us complex more than any other creature. The feelings that we have and the emotions that we have. However, while they're not bad in themselves, they can cause us to make certain decisions or do certain things that are not helpful. And I don't have to convince you of that. We kind of all have those, those experiences in life where something has happened and we've, we've lashed out at somebody. And maybe in anger. And so that emotion of anger drove us to say something that we wish we didn't say. Or sometimes we've just, even the good experience of joy, like there's something that someone did that just really blessed us. And it just made us feel a certain way, like we were loved. And that feeling of being cared for and being loved, it's like nothing can replace that feeling. But the opposite is true, that feeling of loss, the feeling of pain. These emotions are real and part of what kind of clues us in on how life is going for us. But... Specifically, I want to talk about the realm of decisions. And if we're going to make a decision solely on our emotional state in life, it can actually cause some problems for us. In the movie Inside Out, really their emotions and the feelings they had, all the characters, and the memories were really all that they had to kind of guide them. And so we're going to take a look at what, what does that actually look like for us? beyond an animated film, if emotions become our only guide in life. Basically, what would it be is if we just made decisions, I'm happy, here's a decision I'm going to make. Or I'm mad, here's a decision I'm going to make. I'm fearful, here's a decision I make. And what you find is we actually do that all the time. 
We feel a certain way and we act. We decide something. And so we're going to take a look at, well, what does that mean actually for the trajectory um, of our life? And so I actually want to take some time today to talk about a biblical character that illustrated from the course of his life what it meant for him to follow his heart. That's what we're really talking about. That follow my feelings, follow my heart, follow my gut, follow my sense of what I should do. And we're going to look at the biblical character of Samson. And Samson was a man that actually followed his heart. Now, Samson uh, did a lot of noble things for God. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background of, of who he was. But he also did some things and he made some choices based on some emotions that he had, some desires and some things that he wanted. And so we're going to just take a look back because for me, examples are really helpful. And a lot of times I can look at my own life as an example, but sometimes I just need something outside of myself and my own experience to kind of see things clearly. And so that's kind of what I hope to do with the story of Samson. Uh, You find his story in three chapters in the Old Testament of the Bible in the book of Judges. And it's called Judges because that whole book is based on the leaders of Israel who were called Judges. There were 12 of them. Samson is the 12th judge. He's the last of them. And so he was a judge uh, between the time of Joshua and Samuel. And these leaders were leading Israel, God's people. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, you really get a snapshot of what did these people who were God's people, how did they live their life? And what you find is they were a pretty like stubborn bunch that made a lot of bad decisions. One minute they're praising God and just thanking him for all the ways that he's taking care of them. The next minute, they're worshiping a false god. And that was like Israel. Obedience, rebellion. Obedience, rebellion. Obedience, rebellion. And that's kind of a main theme of the Old Testament. We had these judges in place that were trying to navigate. How do we lead this group of people that just seem like they never quite know what direction they should be going? And to be a judge at this time was no easy feat. It was basically leading a group of people that were pretty disgruntled. That followed their emotions a lot. They thought something. They were fearful of things. They were angry at things. And it caused them to do things. Caused them to make some decisions. And so Samson was one of these leaders. And he was the last of the judge. And so in this, I want you to kind of know the background of he's leading a group that really go their, their own way a lot. And the reason I bring that up is oftentimes when we read the scriptures, it's a group of people that we don't know in a land that we've never been to, probably in a time that's so ancient. But what you find is as you read the Bible and you hear about people and the way they related to each other and the decisions they made, at least for myself, I kind of relate to them. And that's part of the point of the scriptures. So when I talk about Israel A lot of times it's a reflection of humanity as a whole. It kind of represents who we are. We're hard to be led. We're pretty wishy-washy on what we want out of life. And so Israel represents a lot of this. I know at least for me. So as I talk about that, I want you to kind of know this is kind of where the people are at. But his story starts in Judges 13.1. And it goes like this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so again... They're doing what they want to do. They're rebelling. 
They're rebelling against their father, the God of Israel. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So part of this obedience and rebellion is when they rebelled, there were consequences just like there are today. When we make bad decisions and when we actually rebel against God and go our own way, there are consequences. That's part of the reaping and sowing. Or sowing and reaping, I should say. And so they were actually under this oppressive people called the Philistines who really just wanted to kill and control the Israelites. They weren't looking out for them. They weren't really trying to be friendly to them. They, they came against them. And so the Israelites just wanted to do their own thing. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted to go their own way. They thought their way was the best. And God said, okay. If you rebel, though, the Philistines will lead you. They will take you. And, and that's what happened. And so Samson is born at this time. Now, his mother was barren. She wasn't able to have kids, but there appeared this sign that you, you will give birth to this man. And they wanted him to have this Nazarite vow. So she had no idea. They didn't know they were going to be able to have a child. It was this great news that they had, and they got news that he was going to be a leader. And not only was he going to be a leader, but he was going to be a Nazarite. And part of that Nazarite is you are set, separated to God. You have a place of, of leadership, but you also have a place where your life has to be really a cut above those that you're leading. And so you find in verse 5 of chapter 13 of Judges, it says this, No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So you get this idea that there's something about Samson that God wants to do. And in this verse, is the idea of he's going to be part of saving them from this people that want to take them out, the Philistines. So no razor should come upon his head. Now, if you were a kid and you grew up in the church, you may have heard of the story of Samson. Samson is always pictured with long hair because of this verse. No razor shall come upon his head. There's actually an image of him I wanted to share with you. All I know is, like, if you want, like, stud factor... I mean, really, just, it's just kind of, I don't know, is he brushing the teeth? Like, you know, just wrestling a lion like it's no big deal. This is kind of the idea, the strength, Samson's strength. That's kind of the image we have. A man of strength, a man of power, a man to save the people from the Philistines. And so part of his Nazarite vow, Nazarite vow is abstinence from strong wine or strong drinks like alcohol. A no cutting of the hair and no contact with the dead. Those were like the three main vows he needed to make. Those were very important because it was a vow that he made to God saying, I'm going to be set apart to be your leader, to be your judge, to save the people from the Philistines. But what you find is in verse 13, you get the background of his life and his birth like I just shared. But in chapter 14 of Judges, again, his story is only three chapters. It really shifts, and he's now a grown man. And you see there's some things that begin to happen in him that kind of show there's some things he's wrestling with. And it says this in uh, chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Quick quiz. Were the Philistines good people? No. But he saw the daughters of the Philistines. Okay, it's kind of like a little Romeo and Juliet before Romeo and Juliet. He's eyeing the enemy 
and he notices a daughter. Then he came up and told his father and mother. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It's like, you know, I wonder, like, were they at breakfast? Like, how's your day? It was good. You know, thanks. Thanks for the meal. I really appreciate it. Hey, I saw a daughter. Could you, of the Philistines, could you get her? I'm going to marry her. Could you pass the sugar? I mean, like, I don't know if it sounds like just there. He saw it. He's telling his parents. I want her as, as my wife. Again, man of strength and power. He says, but his father and mother said to him, this is like classic parent, like they want what their child wants. Every parent kind of wants that, like you want to make your child happy. But they say like kind of maybe there's another way. Is, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people? Now, I say relatives like it's kind of like distant relatives because to me you're like, is that better? Right. But in this day and time, like you kind of hooked up with distant relatives. So they said, "Okay, you can't have the Philistine really. But what about one of your relatives or um, among the people, one of the Israelites that you that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Like you need to go outside of our people. That's really what you want. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. For she is right. In my eyes. Okay. Get her for me, for she was right in my eyes. At this point, he's not thinking about this Nazarite vow he made. He's not thinking about redeeming the Israelites from the Philistines. He's thinking, I saw this woman. I want the woman. Get the woman. That's what he's thinking. That's Alex's translation. Saw the woman, want the woman, get the woman. But this phrase that you see there, she is right in my eyes. That's the idea of follow your heart. He's got some feelings in there. He's got these desires and he's saying, that's what I want. What I see is what I want. Go get her for me. And it's really without kind of an understanding of what that would do. And his parents are trying to reason with him. But he didn't have anything of it. Because she's right in my eyes. Basically, the way I see it, based on what I want and based on the power that I have, I have every right to get that. Go get her for me. So this pull in his heart is causing him to make some decisions, which you find later actually cause tragedy for his life. In fact, what happened a little bit later is the Philistines became so outraged that they also were partnering with Samson. Because Samson was strong and he was going against them in battle and killing many, many of the Philistines. And because of a decision he made that they didn't like, they decided, well, we're going to kill something that's dear to him. And so they actually killed his wife and her father. So the very thing he wanted, because it was right in his eyes, he lost He didn't think that was going to happen. And I'm sure if he knew that was going to happen, that would have changed his decisions. But he wanted what he wanted, and it caused him to act. And that happens to me, and it happens to you. We want what we want, and it causes us to act. And it had consequences. And so really, this this battle between the Philistines and Samson now was, was just even at a higher level. He was taking from them, 
they were taking from him. And they just kept on against each other, against each other. And Samson was mighty and powerful, and he kept on taking them out. But you find later in Judges 16, he hadn't really learned his lesson. Despite the battles, despite the consequences, despite all the lives lost, because of certain decisions that he made and certain decisions that others had made, he hadn't really learned. And it says this, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies. And how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Guys, I'm going to talk to you real quick. If you're dating a woman and she ever says this to you, don't walk, run. Back to our regular programming. Okay. Right? You read that and you're like, Samson, what are you thinking? Right? There's this idea that doesn't even make sense. How could he be that foolish? How could he go down the same path? That he went. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to us. But he was following his heart. He was following his feelings. He wanted what he wanted. And he acted. It goes on later. Now she, had, she was wanting the money. She didn't want Samson. She wanted the money. And the Philistines knew women, that's the way to his heart. That's his weakness. He'll make tons of decisions based on the things that are dear to his heart. And it was women. That's what he wanted. And so she kept on and on and on. Really, she just was nagging him. Come on, how do you get your strength? And, you know, just trying to get to him, get to him, get to him. And in verse 16, the story goes on. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Okay. There's nagging, and then there's Delilah. Now, the Bible's not making a joke here. It's like this is a historical account. It's basically saying she was nagging him so much that she almost killed him. Guys, if this is happening to you, walk. No, don't walk. Run. <laughs> You run. Nag to the point of death. He just was overwhelmed, like, I, I can't take this anymore. And he was, like, tricking her along the way. He was, like, telling her, well, if you do this, you'll find out my strength. And he just kept tricking her and tricking her. And finally, she's like, I'm not, I'm not going to leave until you tell me. And then in verse 17, and he told her all his, what? His heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. 
For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his, what? Heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And when he was sleeping, she bound him up and she shaved his head. She followed her heart. She wanted the money. She didn't want love. He followed his heart. He wanted the woman. And it's this great picture of this idea of he just was following his heart, what was really important to him. And it was causing him to do things which, as you read it, you think, this is crazy. Why would he do that? It makes no sense. Why would he put himself in danger? Why would he put the, the people that he's leading in danger? This is a, the judge who's vowed to be separated to lead the people. Why would he do this? Well, he had some things in his heart that were more important to him than honoring the Lord. And so there were some things that he just wanted more. And when he was pressed, he gave her his heart. So in that, just those few verses that he told me all his heart, and she explains to the people, the Philistines, come and get him. I finally have him. There's this picture of he just, he let me in. He gave me his heart. I have control now. So these emotions and these feelings they are strong, and they can cause us to do some crazy things, some foolish things that can lead to years and years and years of consequences. But the problems with feelings and the problems with emotions, no matter how strong they are, as soon as they're gone, you wonder, why did I do that? How did I act? And the same was true for Samson. And so they bound him, and he became the prisoner. And they were making a mockery of him. And they were worshiping their own gods. And the Philistines were basically saying, look, we have captured your strongest judge. We have taken the man that was supposed to deliver you from us. And they were mocking him. And he came to his senses in the last kind of moments of his life. And he realized, like, I can't. I can't end it this way. This, this, isn't, this isn't what God wanted my life to be. And so I don't exactly know the, the, the timeline from when he was captured to the point when he breathed his last breath. But his hair began to grow back. In his strength, God returned to him. And you find in verse 28 of chapter 16, it says this, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, oh God. And he was tied to these pillars of the buildings where they were worshiping and mocking him. And he pushed them down. And on top of him and on top of all the Philistines around him, the building collapsed. And it's this picture of he finally realized that he had followed his feelings. 
He'd followed what he really wanted and in the end realized that's not actually what I had hoped it would be. That's not actually what I hoped I would gain. So it's just this great picture of this really torn character like, like all of us. And like I said about the Israelites, there's a sense in which they really represent humanity. Well, as you look at the life of Samson, that also represents us as well. That's why we have biblical characters, good and bad, for our own really building up of our life. Because from the examples of those before us that wrestled with things and failed and some succeeded, you get this picture of how do we navigate this. And so for Samson, as I was reading this, I began to think of my own life. I began to think of things like, what is the things that are really important to me that cause me to do certain things? It began to make me think, like, Samson made some really poor decisions. And then I began to think to myself, have I made poor decisions? And then it's like, well, where do I start? Right? I've made a lot of really bad decisions in my life. Some big, some small. But for each decision I make, there's certain things that are driving it. Even some of the small things, I'm trying to, I'm trying to eat better, which means you actually have to like make decisions about food, I found. Like, you can't eat better without choosing things. But you know what? Like, my feelings are kind of wrapped up in what I eat. Like, if like I eat good things, I kind of feel better. And when I say good, I mean like bad. <laughs> right? Like, like, there's something in me like, you know, it's like 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, man, I, I just need a little snack and like, man, a little Oreo and coffee. Like that kind of feel good. You guys ever do this? You don't have to say anything. But like, I found that even with food, like I make decisions based on like how it's going to make me feel. I do. And then as I relate to my kids, I was thinking about that too. You know what? I relate to my kids a lot of, about how I feel too. Like if I'm tired, I view them differently. I do. Sometimes I view my kids, and this is like a full confession. Sometimes I view my kids when I'm tired. It's like, just try to avoid them. Can I come home and I'm tired? It's like, I just don't know if I have the energy to interact in a way that's going to be helpful. But that's based on my feelings. Like, I feel tired. And I was thinking about the conflict that I have with people when I say things. And anger I feel. Well, where where does that come from? Why am I angry? Why do I want to let people have it? Just peace in my mind or to set them straight? It comes from somewhere. It comes from my heart. Desire is good and bad. And you have those desires as well. And what I've realized is when all we have in life is our own emotions to guide us, It's very arbitrary. And it's pretty confusing about how to move forward. Because if all we have is our feelings, then whatever we feel is reality. But in the case of Samson, what he felt was not actually reality. That was not what God wanted from him. Those relationships weren't what he needed, it was the opposite. So there's something that we need outside ourselves, And as you dig into the scriptures and you get to know God, 
This is, I think, one of the best messages that we have as you follow Christ. And if you're a Christian, one of the best things that you can share with people is that you have guidance outside of yourself. That's one of the best things that you can have. Guidance outside of yourself because when all you have is yourself to guide you, it's confusing. It's not always clear. And so that's a truth of Scripture. We need someone beyond ourselves to guide us. As we make decisions, we need something beyond just what we feel. Because if all we have is what we feel, that can actually cause us to do some things that are not helpful. So as you follow God, you actually get pulled outside of yourself. And you begin to realize that just because I feel it, it may not be true. Just because I want it, it may not be good. And that's what a relationship with God does. It actually allows you to see outside of just what you feel. Again, our feelings are not bad. But if all that we have are those to make decisions in life, it's going to cause problems. And so there's actually three guides primarily that that we have in life. The first one is, is man. So we need a guide outside ourselves. Well, one of the ones is just man, which could be fellow man. It could just be trying to guide ourselves, which doesn't work because we need a guide outside ourselves. But many times we follow people. That could be parents. Their view of what we should do in our life. We're always kind of living with that in a shadow of our life. Who they wanted us to be, what they wanted us to do. It's a guide for us for good or bad. It could be someone that we love. We love them dearly, and so we kind of use their life to guide us. There's a second guide. It's, it's the Lord. And no surprise here, at Church in the Valley, that, that's the guide that we want everyone to experience. We want everyone to have a relationship with the Lord so they can be guided and led by Him. But there's a third as well, and this is an idol. We can be guided by anything or anyone other than God. So man certainly fits into that, the first one. But that of idol, it can be money. It could be success. It could just be wanting to be liked. It could be wanting to be happy. It could even be our feelings. These can be the idols that we kind of prop up to worship in our life. And an idol is this idea of what we give attention to, where our eyes are fixed. The Israelites' idols were like most of the time these golden images that they looked and worshipped. This is the idea of we can't see the God of Israel, but we can see this golden image. Let us worship it because we can see it. What you find is if you make decisions just on an idol, whether it's money, success, power, Again, that's going to cause you to make decisions that really don't actually lead up to the life that God wants you to have. And so what God does is as you begin to kind of experience maybe following other idols, maybe you've tried to follow money and that be your guide, the pursuit of it. Or maybe you've tried to have someone else be your guide and you've experienced that. Or maybe you've really trusted your feelings. 
you get to the point where you realize it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And that's where God begins to work in our hearts. At the point we realize that the things that we've had our attention on are leading us down the wrong path. We actually have an opportunity to change the course. And this is for Christians and non-Christians alike. We get off track very easily because of what our eyes are fixed on. And there's a verse in Jeremiah that kind of paints this picture of what you trust in. And the idea is what you follow. Whether you follow your heart or whether you follow God. And I just want to kind of close with this passage because it gives this great comparison. It says this in Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Makes flesh his strength. This idea of he trusts in himself. He trusts in his feelings. All he knows is all he needs. And he's going to follow that. And it says, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Look at what the scripture says this person is like. He's like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhibited salt land. See, I I believe the Bible is true. And so if this is true, what it's saying is if all you have to follow is yourself or all you have to follow is your own strength or your own understanding, the outcome of your life is going to be something that is completely dried up. That has nothing of value. The Bible is true, then it's saying if, if you go this way, this is what will happen. But the story's not over there. The passage continues, and it says, For those of you who don't want to be this shrub in the desert that's parched without any sense of life, it tells you what to do. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, not your own heart. Whose trust is the Lord. I like that. It's not only do you trust in him. But you trust him. The idea is. There's nothing else. That you really try to navigate life through. You trust that he's real. You trust that he can lead you. And at the same time. When it boils down to everything. Despite the fears that you have. God will come through. That's this picture. And then it says what this person is like. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, which it will. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now watch how it transitions. There's this idea of trusting in yourself or trusting in God. Parched land. Or the watered lush land. I think all of us would agree the desert doesn't sound as good. But then it goes on and it kind of expresses what we've been talking about. The heart is deceitful above all things. The reason I believe this is kind of in this passage is because it's saying like as we've painted this picture as the Bible again and again shows the good life trusting in God versus 
really a bad life, trusting in self. It seems like no one would ever choose to just trust in yourself, right? It begs that question. Who would want the desert? But it's as if it's adding this to say, even with as plain as this is explained, we still can be deceived. Because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So this idea of inside out, our feelings, we actually can't understand all that we feel a lot. If you've ever been confused by your emotions, you're human. That's a part of life. And then it says, despite the confusion, despite the sickness, despite the deceitfulness of our own hearts and our own feelings, goes on in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. There right there is why we each need a relationship with God. Because he's the only one that can actually see into our hearts. He's the only one that knows what's going on. Which means he's the only one that really can relate to what we're experiencing and to what we're feeling. As I close, I just want to kind of go over real briefly some ways to make decisions. Because that's what we've been talking about. How, How do you make decisions that don't cost you? And then actually please God. And I'm going to go over these very briefly. But how do I express this trust in the Lord? How do I become this, this root that's rooted in God? Well, the first thing is make sure you're walking in obedience to the Lord. So if, if you don't have a relationship with God, it really does begin there. Because as you have a relationship with God, you begin now to have guidance outside of yourself. And that's what you need. And as you follow God and you make decisions, you always got to be asking yourself, am I doing what God wants me to do right now? Because it's really hard to make decisions if we're living independently of God. And then the second is pray for God to guide you and trust him as he leads you to do certain things. So as you're making decisions, you want to find out what the Bible says about the decision that you're making. You want to seek wise advice. Ask somebody else, like, I'm, I'm experiencing this decision. Here's what I'm feeling. But what do you think? Because, again, it's hard to trust what we feel. And then don't, don't rush, rush the decision. Sometimes when we're feeling certain things and we want certain things, we're really just acting out of that feeling, out of that desire, whether good or bad. And so part of God guiding us is we can't blow past the relationship that he wants to have. Because his guidance comes from a relationship. God isn't like a magic eight ball where you're just like, God, should I do this? And you just kind of turn it over and it's yes. Or turn it over, no. God doesn't guide like that. He guides out of a relationship. And so these things of trusting God, it flows to this relationship where you, you actually have to seek him. You have to take the time to find out what the Bible says. And so... If you don't know how to do that, you could write that on your connection card. If there's a decision you're facing, you're trying to figure out 
what to do. We, we want to come alongside you and help you with that. But I want to encourage you today as I wrap up, and the band can kind of go ahead and make their way to the stage. Think through just the things that you have in your life that you're deciding about. And just ask yourself, what, what's kind of my main thing that I'm trusting in? Like, am I trusting my feeling? Am I trusting someone else? And just do an inventory. What, what is the basis for the decisions that you're making right now? And as you walk through this, ask, ask God to help you. So I'm going to pray, but before that, I just wanted to wish all the dads a happy Father's Day. I didn't forget. It's happy Father's Day. And I was just thinking, you know, every, every Father's Day and Mother's Day, uh, it can really be a mixed bag of emotions for people. Speaking of emotions. And for some, it's a good day where they get to be with their father. For some, uh, they don't. Whether their father has died or on Mother's Day where their mother's died or the relationship they didn't have. And so this day, is, is, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's something that we celebrate because it's actually good to celebrate fathers and mothers. But as I was thinking this morning, despite the emotion that we may have, in Scripture, God is really described as our Father. And so one of the things I had, no matter where we are today, God wants to be your Father. And He wants to be my Father. And so I just want to close in prayer and really thank Him for being the Father that really sets the example for all of the fathers. So let's, let's pray together. God, we, we do thank you for being our father. And every time we pray, we, we say that. Uh, but it become, becomes just rote and cliche. But you have described yourself as our father. And we as your children. And so we thank you for the relationship that you want to have. And that, that family expression that really represents the kind of God that you are. You do want to lead us and you want to guide us. And I just thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you'll just give us just the the ability to make decisions in a way that are beyond what we feel. And help us to pinpoint our feelings and then really turn to you and and ask your help in the midst of what we we feel to do what is right. And to do what is pleasing to you. So God, help us to get to know you better so we may have clear understanding of your will. And so, God, I, I thank you for being our Father and for loving us so. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.